to the ExtraordinaryChurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25 through 27. The word of the Lord reads, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out, of fear, out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Aren't you thankful the word of the Lord can do that? And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Let's also look at 1 John 4.18. I'm going to try, by the help of the Holy Ghost, to bring these two passages together. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear, see this, involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. I told my wife this, but love is that every time I've told Mateo this, I don't know that I've told my wife this, but I said it's, it's uncanny. Every time I'm getting ready to preach, the word of the Lord is confirmed through worship to me. Sarah and I did not discuss the worship set. They did an amazing job. But every song they sang and declared, I thought to myself, did they just read my notes? That confirms to me that God knows what he's doing and that we're all in line with what he wants to do today. By the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach this simple thought to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Would you help me pray? Lord, we love you. We honor you. And we are so thankful to be able to have the privilege of gathering together to lift up your name. It is a beautiful day outside today. We celebrate your mercies and your goodness, which are made new every morning. I pray that you would anoint me with the type of anointing that makes ministry effective. Help me to preach and to teach your word with relevancy and with accuracy. Help me to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit, God. Fill somebody with your spirit today. If somebody's being tormented by fear, God, I command fear to leave them alone in your perfect love. Let somebody leave with peace today and confidence that they are safe in your hand. We trust you for that and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. His name was John, meaning the grace of mercy or, or excuse me, meaning the grace or the mercy of the Lord. See, John was James' younger brother, also an apostle. His father was Zebedee, his mother was Salome, quite possibly the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And if this was the case, it could explain her forwardness in asking Jesus that James and John be on his right hand and left side in the kingdom. His father Zebedee seemed to have owned a successful fishing fleet on the Sea of Galilee. It also appears that the, the family, and John in particular, had connections with the social leaders and the religious leaders of that day, the rulers of that day. Some even believe that John perhaps had some type of occupation or employment role actually in the temple. John and his friend Andrew were followers of John the Baptist. Whenever they could slip away from their work and listen to this wild man, if you will, this wilderness preacher, if you will, preach at the River Jordan, they had become disciples of John the Baptist and quite possibly were present when Jesus himself was baptized. John 
had a faithful and teachable spirit. By the way, can I just tell you, there's something about a faithful spirit and there's something about somebody who's teachable as well. If you ever want to learn anything in life, it would be good to remain teachable. If you ever want to grow in leadership or grow in your spiritual walk with God or just grow in general, can I encourage you, be teachable. Amen. We want to be teachable today. John had a faithful and teachable spirit. And let me just also say this. There's something about being faithful. There's something about showing up and going through what we may say are the motions even when you don't feel like it. Can I tell you the scripture is clear. It does not say, well done, thou good and anointed servant. It does not say, well done, thou good and charismatic servant. It does not say, well done, thou good and talented servant. It says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. John was faithful and he was teachable. Jesus nicknamed his older brother, he the sons of thunder. Because they once suggested calling down fire on Sumerians who wouldn't sell them any bread. That must have been some really, really good bread. Uh, But along with his brother James and Peter, John became part of the inner circle of Christ's disciples. Present where so many miracles took place. The raising of Jairus' daughter. What took place on the Mount Transfiguration. John had an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He was remarkably connected. Many will tell you that John was more than likely the youngest of all the apostles. Perhaps this is why he stayed so close to Jesus. He was humble. He was reticent. He spoke of himself in the second person. If you read the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to John, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. In the gospel, bearing his own name, John would often include himself in whatever story, but omit giving his own name. Afraid and confused, John forsook the Lord during the time of trial. Later, perhaps using his own connections because he had some type of influence, he's able to gain access into the courtyard of the high priest. And unlike the other apostles, John came to the cross and watched Jesus give his last breath. If you recall, you'll even know that Jesus spoke to him and said, Woman, this is your son. And John, or John, this is now your mother. But what's interesting is that while all this is taking place, and even at the resurrection, when Mary Magdalene, she comes bringing surprising news, John and Peter race to the tomb. John gets there first, but he refuses to go in. There was within John a remarkable sensitivity, but also an innate timidity. There's a fearfulness, a a fearfulness of displeasing, a fearfulness of being viewed as too pushy, a fearfulness of even mentioning his own name. But John's love for Jesus overcame that fearfulness. Only someone who has suffered from great fear could write, fear has torment. Fear has torment. Can I tell you, if we're not careful, fear will torment us All day long. Fear will not only torment us, it will prevent us from pursuing what Jesus Christ has for us. It will paralyze us right in our footsteps and we will not enjoy the extraordinary abundant life that Jesus Christ died to give us. Fear wants to wreak havoc upon our lives and we see it all throughout scripture. John uses the Greek word system, which is where we get the word phobia. Four times he uses this, and I'll talk about John in a little bit. But when he says there is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear, he understands what fear does to people. And see, I know there's a healthy fear, and there's an unhealthy fear. See, in a spiritual sense, a healthy fear is one uh, that would fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge is what the scripture says. Having a healthy awe for his reverence, for his presence. That is a healthy fear. But an unhealthy fear is one that drives people into acts of selfishness or withdrawal from life. It seems that unhealthy fears dominate the landscape. In particular, in this day and age that we live in right now. There's acrophobia, the fear of heights. There's arachnophobia. 
the fear of spiders. There's agoraphobia, the fear of open spaces. There's brontophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning. There's homartophobia, the fear of sinning. There's serophobia, the fear of mice and rats. I don't even want to get me started on that. I'm not afraid of them. I just can't stand them, praise God. There's necrophobia, the fear of death. There's pentatherophobia, the fear of your mother-in-law. I don't have that, praise God. Alex is like, don't move. Don't, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There's thalassophobia, fear of the sea. There's xenophobia, fear of strangers or foreigners. I could go down the list. There is metathocephophobia, the fear of change. There's athasagoraphobia, the fear of being forgotten, ignored, or forgetting. Can I go? I, I'm not. I'm just going to give you one more. I'm just going to give you one more. There's a tickophobia, the fear of failure. There are so many failures. We might as well just throw another one on there. There's the coronavirus, <laughs> COVID-19. There are people that are afraid of that as well. Let me just say this, though. I don't want to make light of all of these fears, and we shouldn't discount other people's fears. Of all the things that people fight, nothing is so ridiculed as that of fear. But let me tell you a story that may change your perspective a little bit. I've actually shared this once before a long time ago. I wonder if you'll recall. But there's a mouse. He looked through a crack in the wall to see the farmer and his wife opening a package. And what, he wondered what it might contain. He was <gasps> aghast to discover that it was a mousetrap. Retreating to the farmyard, the mouse proclaimed the warning. There, there's a mousetrap in the house. There's a mousetrap in the house. And the chicken clucked and the chicken scratched and raised her head and said, Mr. Mouse, I can tell you this is a grave concern to you, but is of no consequence to me. I can't be bothered. The mouse turned to the pig and told the pig, the mouse, there's a mouse trap in the house. I am so very sorry, Mr. Mouse, sympathized the pig, but there is nothing I can think of to do about it. Surely someone else will step in to help. The mouse turned to the cow who replied, like, wow, Mr. Mouse, a mouse trap. I'm in grave danger, aren't I? So the mouse returned to the house, head down and dejected to face the farmer's mouse trap all by himself. That very night, a sound was heard throughout the house, like the sound of a mouse trap catching its prey. The farmer's wife rushed in to see what was caught, and in the darkness, she did not see that it was a venomous snake whose tail the trap had caught. The snake bit the farmer's wife, and the farmer rushed his wife to the hospital. She returned home with a fever. Now, everybody knows you treat a fever with chicken soup. So the farmer took his hatchet to the farmyard for the soup's main ingredient. His wife's sickness continued so that friends and neighbors came to sit with her around the clock. To feed them, the farmer had to butcher the pig. This farmer's wife did not get well, unfortunately. In fact, she died. And so many people came for her funeral. So the farmer had to slaughter the cow, too, to provide meat for everybody to eat. So the next time you hear someone is facing a problem, and think that it doesn't concern you, remember that when the least of us is threatened, we are all at risk. Just because this coronavirus, you know, COVID-19, doesn't affect you, you do need to realize there are many people here that are part of the EC community that might be a bit more vulnerable to it to you. And when it affects the least of us, it affects us all. I thought I'd get a better response than that. When it affects the least of us, it affects us all. Can I just tell you what G.K. Chesterton said? All people matter. You matter. I matter. It's the hardest thing in theology to believe. And it's the truth. It's the hardest thing to understand that not only I matter, but everybody else matters as well. Real or imagined, healthy or unhealthy, Fear cannot be belittled. It is something to be examined and dealt with. And unless you've been on the moon the last 30 days, you know there's a lot of unrest that is now sweeping the world. 
The coronavirus is spreading. Stock markets are dropping. People are panicking. Everybody cannot find toilet paper. And that's a problem for most of you. For me, I'm good. We use wipes. Praise God. You know, <laughs> just telling the truth, praise God. Y'all should try and praise the Lord. What should we do, though? You know what? Should we not worry about it and just go on our extra hand sanitizer? That would be underreacting. Should we buy extra hand sanitizer and toilet paper and hide inside and saying REMs, it's the end of the world as we know it? No, that would be overreacting. I don't pretend to be an expert, and I don't know where this is going. But I do know as followers of Jesus Christ, we should process things with a faith perspective. I know they're canceling sporting events. I know schools are shutting down or maybe operating in a different learning environment, no longer up close and personal, online. I know many of you all who are pursuing or developing your careers have been told to work from home. I know grocery stores have gone, and I was like, Brian, I saw that on your Instagram story. I was like, is that real? I was like, yeah, every shelf is like literally empty. What are we going to do? We can't ignore it. We're certainly not going to stockpile beans and rice and stay home for the next three months. Let me tell you, the first thing, I am not going to make any long-term and permanent decisions as it relates to the EC community as a whole. I believe in times of crisis and panic, it's best not to project out into the future. Let me just tell you, as a matter of fact, there's no strength in what's going to happen a week from now or a month from now. God will lead us and he'll give us the wisdom for this day, and we will respond accordingly. It's always best to make decisions based on what we know today. Now, I'm not minimizing anticipating. I believe in anticipatory leadership. I teach it. I try to practice it myself. But when we anticipate, we always anticipate by faith. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as believers in Jesus Christ, faith forms our decisions differently. I want you to hear me. Faith forms our decisions differently. You and I do not panic because God has not given us a spirit of fear. We are not of this world. We are not conformed to this world. We are renewing our minds. We're allowing the word of God to transform our minds. We don't live like everybody else. We've got hope and our hope is in Jesus Christ and therefore we will process it accordingly. If you believe that, give him praise. Now, let me just be clear. I'm not telling you to do something dumb or irresponsible. But what I am telling you is, you've got faith. And faith in Jesus Christ. You have a God that cannot let you down, cannot disappoint you. He knows what's best for you. And let me just tell you something plain. If Corona, if God doesn't want, if God has got something for you to do, coronavirus can't take you out. If God's got something for you to do, cancer can't take you out. If God has got something for you to do, there's no devil in hell that can take you out. If God has got his hand on your life and has a plan for you, you ought to know no weapon formed against you can prosper. The God we serve is with you, he's for you, and he's got you. If you believe that, give him praise. Come on and open up your mouth and give him thanks. Don't be afraid. Returning to the text, it had been a long day for Jesus because what just happened, if you read this in context, his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. His obedient cousin who had blazed the trail, if you will, the one who had baptized him. When he heard the news, our Lord gets into a boat with his disciples and he goes to a deserted place. News of his arrival quickly spread, and the multitude is flooding him. For hours, he is healing the sick, and he feeds a minimum of 5,000 men. If we include women and children, it could be easily 20 to 25,000 people he fed. And finally, he wants to be alone to pray. 
He commands his disciples to get in the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. And a storm comes. And the boat is buffeted and it's tormented by the waves. The disciples are in trouble. They are afraid. They are toiling. They are working these oars, trying to maintain some semblance of normalcy and equilibrium. And this storm is wreaking havoc in their life. Not only that, it's in the fourth watch of the night. And a figure can be seen moving across the water towards them. Now, you got to imagine, imagine yourself in a boat fighting a storm, and you're facing the storm, and you're giving the storm everything that you can. And then on top of it, you're like, this is it. This is a ghost. Can it get any worse? And check this out. I want you to look at Mark chapter 6, 48. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Now, one of the things you know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are four. Three are considered synoptic, which means you can kind of overlay them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they share a lot of the similar events and uh, not necessarily a, the same vantage point. Uh, but John is, his gospel according to Jesus Christ, or the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John, excuse me, is greatly different. But when you look at these three, you see some interesting stuff. But Mark uses this, this uh, he uses the phrase, Jesus would have passed him by. Now, this is a really interesting scripture. This is a really interesting phrase in scripture. The verb to pass by is used in the Greek Okay, translation, Old Testament. It refers to a theophany. A theophany is a defining moment when God himself appears to a man. Okay, a defining moment when God himself appears to a man. For example, when God put Moses in the cleft of a rock. If you remember this, Moses said, I want to see your glory. Okay, or when God begins to reveal his glory, this was a theophany. Okay, or when God told Elijah to stand on the mountain for the Lord is about to pass by, according to 1 Kings 19, 11 through 15. What Mark wants us to understand is that God was about to show his power and majesty to his disciples. That's going to make me shout. <laughs> they were getting ready to witness that Jesus had told the reason why Jesus told him to get in the boat in the first place. They were about to see the power that Jesus Christ had over the elements. They were about to see that he could walk on water. Here's what I want you to understand. Dale Bruner said it like this. Human extremity is the frequent meeting place of God. In other words, when you get to the end of your rope, when you get to the end where you think you can't go any longer, you can't push any further, when you have exhausted Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, when you've called on your mom and dad and they no longer pick up the phone, that is when God will show up in your life and do something extraordinary in your life. It's when things go from bad to worse. That is where God shows up and shows himself strong. See, until then, the storm, had the disciples' attention. I'm trying to help somebody today. But from this point forward in our story, Jesus has their attention. Be careful that you don't get so distracted by the storm that you miss seeing Jesus. Be careful that you don't get so distracted by the coronavirus, COVID-19, that you miss seeing Jesus. Be careful that you don't get so distracted by the amount of debt that you have or by the bills that you have or by what your employer says is or isn't going to happen, by what happens or what is available or what isn't available in the grocery stores. Whatever you are facing, don't put your eyes on the circumstances. Put your eyes on the one who will never let you down. Put your eyes on the one who is your source. Put your eyes on the one who is your provider. Put, the eyes on, put your eyes on the one who can walk on water. Somebody give him praise. Hallelujah. Come on and get your eyes on him. Lift your eyes to the heavens and say, I will look to the hills for which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. He is my rock. He is my provider. He is my way maker. 
So the disciples cry out in fear, it's a ghost. Now, you have to give them some credit. This, this storm was really bad. It had to be. Because it's not like they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They, they didn't recognize him. They missed him altogether. And they thought he was a ghost. I mean, all of hell is breaking loose in their life. And here, Jesus shows up in the midst of all of hell breaking loose in their life. Their answer is right there in front of them, and they can't even recognize the answer. Their response is, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. They are so stricken with fear. They have been so paralyzed by fear. They have no longer had the ability to even discern that Jesus is right in front of them. So they cry out, it's a ghost. And here's what I love. The Bible says Jesus immediately, he didn't waste any time, immediately said, it is I. Be not afraid. Now, it is I. If you look this up in the Greek, it means ego emi, okay? Since we're talking about Greek words, I don't normally do this, but I just want you to get this, okay? I want to translate this from the Greek to the Old Testament, conceptually speaking, because this is really interesting. When Moses asked God his name at the burning bush, what did God say? I am that I am. When the Greek translators translate that phrase, guess what word they use? Ego emi. Keep this in mind. Jesus, again, was allowing his deity to be displayed before the disciples. He was merely going to pass them by and let them see God's power. Yet when they cried out in fear, he said, I am that I am. <laughs> the same God who sent Moses walks before you today. That God, Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ is here before you today. No wonder, no wonder if you keep reading, the disciples say, clearly you are the Son of God. They understood his divinity. They understood his power. They understood that he was God in the flesh. And they no longer had to live by fear. I'm, out of here. I'm here to help somebody today because God has not called us to live by fear. We live by faith, not by fear. We live by faith and not by fear. But check this out, Savagery. Only Matthew records what I'm about to share with you. And I've actually shared this already. I read it, but I don't know if you picked up on it because no other gospel says it like this. When Simon Peter heard the voice of Jesus calling him from over the waves, he said, Lord, if it's really you, bid me or command me to come to you on the water. Notice, Peter didn't say, in the water. He said, on the water. My God. <laughs> Imagine, I believe, Peter, Jesus is probably like, oh yeah, this man Peter gets it. He, it wasn't about risk taking. It was about recognizing the magnificent power being displayed. One word Jesus had to say, come. And can I tell you, if we want to walk on water, we must live by faith and not by fear. If we want to walk on top of this coronavirus, COVID-19, we're going to walk by faith and not by fear. If we want to walk on top of the panic, on top of the anxiety, on top of grocery stores being empty, we're going to do it by faith and not by fear. And this is fascinating because these guys are exhausted. They've been fishing all day, all night. Peter could have said, Lord, you know what? I'm just going to keep it real. I'm going to keep it 100. This is not a good time. This is not a good time for me to be walking on the water. Maybe we could wait till it's daylight so I can see. Y'all better hear me. Because <laughs> I can see better when it's daylight. It's, I, I, I'm able to navigate a little bit better. I, I know the sea. And if you, you just call me at the right time, then I'll come. 
or I'm afraid I'm going to trip on these waves and the wind's going to make my hair messy, whatever the case may be. Uh, I'm going to wait till the weather clears a little bit. I don't have that problem, obviously, but I'm going to wait till the weather clears a little bit. And then just for the perfect conditions, the waves won't be tossing and turning and the wind won't be howling and there won't be thunder and lightning. I'll just wait for everything to be perfect. And then when you tell me to come, I'll walk on the water. See, so frequent, hear me, so frequent are the times when God asks us to take a risk to step out in faith. But our response is, Lord, Maybe I'll wait till I have a little bit more money in the bank. Or maybe I could give that later. I'll wait till I have all my ducks in a row. Right now, they're just spread all over the lake. Or, Lord, I'll talk to that person and share what you've done in my life. Maybe later. When I, when I sense that they're ready. Because I, they're not ready right now, even though I know you're prompting me to do it. See, we need to grow comfortable with this fact. There will always be a storm. Let me tell you what else you need to grow accustomed to. Jesus appears in storms. The time to walk on water is not when the circumstances are right, but when Jesus bids us to get up out of the boat. So let me just ask you the question, which is safer, being with Jesus on the waves or in a boat in the storm? When Jesus was comforting his disciples, in John 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let me tell you what God gives us. I love the NLT and the way it says it. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is the gift the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. Can I tell you, God wants to give us a peace that goes beyond human understanding this afternoon. Do you honestly think the Lord is sitting around just hanging out like, oh, 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 snap. Corona? COVID-19? What are they going to do? Nothing catches him off guard. He is a God that is not bound by time. He knows full well what's happening. You and I need to understand Jesus Christ is faithful and he is in control. He is a good God and our God has a plan. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He is working in all things and all things work together for our good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's why Paul tells us, and everybody's been quoting this this week, but it's good and it's true. He said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. We're not panicking. Why? I've got peace. I'm not fearful. Why? I have faith. We live by faith and not by sight. Praise God. You know what? I'm just not going to live under a rock. I'm not. Let me just help you out. I'm getting ahead of myself. But this is why we're here. I'm going to live my life. I was like this. I, I, I was shocked. Tito told me his gym was closed. I was like, thank God for habitual fitness. Because I walked right up in there and got my workout on yesterday. Now, I wasn't foolish. I was like, I love all y'all. And you probably don't have COVID-19, but let me get that cleaning spray. <laughs> I baptized my stuff. Praise God. Ryan, Ryan, I said, Ryan, don't touch that. I'm going to wipe that down first. <laughs> I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to let fear dictate what I do. And can I just tell you, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we cannot live in fear. We make decisions by faith. Listen, the world is panicking. If they don't know where else to, when should the church be the church? If there's any day and age where the church should be the church, it's now. When all hell is breaking loose, it's time for the church to stand up and say, I have an answer. I have a hope. I will live my life the way that God has called me to live it. You don't go run and hide in a corner. You don't go get in some sanitized bubble. You roll up your sleeves and say, God's got this. We live by faith. People are looking for answers. They're hurting. They're confused. They're perplexed. They're riddled with fear and anxiety. And they're living in darkness. And they're looking for an answer.
And do you think for one single solitary second we're not going to have church? Now hear me. How we have it and what it looks like may manifest itself differently, but the moment I arrived, I made it very clear. The church doors that I'm serving will always be open. As long as it's legal, as long as it's safe, we will always be open. We will be open to every ethnicity. We'll be open to every nationality. We'll be open to homosexuals and heterosexuals. We'll be open to transgenders. We'll be open to rich, poor, broke. Makes me no difference. But extraordinary church will always be open. You know what? If they tell us, and I don't know what they do, if they say you can't meet, I'll tell you what, we'll have church like they did in the Bible. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Go house to house. Praise God. If we got to stream from Facebook Live and have a bunch of watch parties in various houses, we've begun small. But can I tell you, God will show up and meet us there. This is why I believe it's no coincidence we've begun small groups to begin with. Because God wants us to understand it's not just about big mother churches, if you will, or 5,000 and 10,000. And I celebrate what God is doing in those communities. But it's also about being extraordinarily agile and being flexible and responding to the times and watching God move. You know what I did? You might think I'm crazy. But during this time, I wanted everybody to know that we were having church. So you know what I did? I bought an Instagram ad. I said, I'm uh, three days. I said, we having church March 15th, 3 o'clock, extraordinary church, perfect church for imperfect people. I, the moment people were talking about shutting down, I was like, the devil is alive. I was like, let me secure this ad, put this out here. You know what I was doing? You know what? It wasn't even about the number and who might show up. It was me exercising my faith. I'm not backing up into a corner. I'm not running and hiding. I'm here to say I serve a God who is greater. And I know you might think I'm radical and what is he saying right now? That's cute. No, I really believe God is greater than coronavirus. I really believe he's greater than any disease. I really believe he's greater than any ailment. I really believe he's greater than any economic collapse. I really believe my God is bigger. If you believe that, give him praise. See, he's bigger, he's bigger. This is no, on the waves, this is no ordinary man out there on the water. This is the one who walks on the water. This is the one whose calling card is, I am that I am. This is a creator of the wind and seas. This is the one who is bigger than the storm. We must have faith to believe that Jesus is bigger than our fears. See, there's a subtle difference between belief and faith. I can believe that through this microphone I've got wrapped around my very large head. I could speak and you could hear. But faith puts my belief into action. See, it's by faith I'm speaking to you this afternoon. I can believe. I don't have one right now. But I could believe. If I wanted to, that chair sitting right next to Mateo, is I would just violate all the principles of social distancing. If I sat down, right, I can believe that chair will hold my weight. But faith puts my belief into action. And I rest my weight upon the chair. See, I can believe God wants to meet me in the storm. But faith causes me to overcome my fear and step out of the boat into the unknown. I want you to hear me. Faith causes me to overcome my fear and step out of the boat into the unknown. So don't say things like, I can't, I can't know. Uh, I, I can't know. I, I must act like this or I must act like that. I can't believe God is a healer. I can't believe that Jesus is real. I can't believe that God works miracles. I can't believe that God will take care of me. Can I tell you, you need to exercise your faith. You need to exercise your faith. Let me just help you out right now. If you look in the Old Testament, there is a number of instances where the moment people exercised their faith, God moved in a supernatural way. Even in the New Testament. And can I just, let me just help you. Fear and growth travel together. That fear will never go away. Each time you do whatever that is, you will experience fear again. Fear will never go away. It's a package deal. 
Fear and growth travel together. So can I just tell you, whatever God is calling you to do, if you, are, if you are just settled and comfortable, that's when you don't deal with fear. But when God is calling you out of your comfort zone and you're facing something that's pushing you out of your comfort zone, can I tell you, fear and growth travel together. And one of the reasons, another reason why I put it out there on Instagram is because we will not have selfish church. This is not about us. This is about the greater Toronto area who needs to know there is a God who loves them and is concerned about them. We will be a sacrificial church, not a self-centered church. We will not be interested in ourselves, but we will take concern for others above ourselves. That's what Paul told Philippians. He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Hear me. I want everybody to see this. We are the body of Christ. We put others ahead of ourselves. We are the body of Christ. We put others ahead of ourselves. You put others ahead of yourself. It is not about us. It is not about me. Can I tell you, it's time for us to focus on everybody else and watch God move in their lives. I encourage you. I know things might be happening, and you know what? I hope for those who are listening to this on the podcast and decided not to come today, that's fine. But I hope and pray that you had church today no matter what. As a matter of fact, we don't just have church on Sunday. We should have church every day. Yes, we come together corporately as a community and we worship. But guess what? I'm going to have church tomorrow, Monday at 5 o'clock in the morning. As a matter of fact, I have, I have church every day of the week at 5 o'clock in the morning. You know what? It's me and Jesus. You know what? Sometimes... More often than not, I bring my family together. I want us to pray. I want us to worship. I want us to get a hold of God. You need to get your spouse together. You need to get your family together and say, hey, let's have church today. Yes. To you, let's, let's sing a song unto the Lord today. Let's read some scripture today. What does it mean to you? Let's lift up the name of Jesus today. Every day we should be having church. Yes. This is when we'll be the church because we can't just be the church when we're here in these four walls. We're the church when we're doing church and being the church outside of these four walls. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for those who don't know him. We're here for ordinary people so that extraordinary people can experience the extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. So we'll have to overcome our fear of failure. Many of us stay in the boat and I'm going to wrap up. Many of us stay in the boat because they fear failure. Many of us remain where we are because they fear what's happening. Many will remain in homes. Many will remain confiscated uh, or confined, excuse me, in a home and not leave and not retreat, not interact with anybody because the fear of this virus can I tell you, that is not the will of God for his people. Many of us are going to be put in situations. You're going to be provoked to do things in this climate. And you need to know God has got your back. You need to know that there will be ministries that will be born out of this. Let me just tell you this too. You know, we talked about not having selfish church. There is a sector or a part of the EC community that is very vulnerable. Why don't we pick up the phone and call them and ask them, can we bring them a meal? Why don't we pick up the phone and say, hey, I'll go do your grocery shopping because I realize you're at high risk and you can't go or you shouldn't go and you're taking the advice of the medical staff and the government or our elected officials. That's appropriate. We're not here for ourselves. Can I tell you, it is in moments like this that have literally, can you think of a time I cannot, uh, I, did, I know I'm not a Canadian. And so uh, I'm more adept and attuned to what's happening in Canada now. Uh, but when I lived in the States, I cannot think of a time that gripped the world like this. Outside of September 11th, 
and then the remnants of Vietnam. For us, now I, I can't speak for Canada, but the world is standing at attention right now. You've never seen travel bans like you've seen them now. You've never seen economies on the precipice of collapse like we've seen them now. We are seeing industries take hits that they may not recover from. The world is standing at attention with bated breath, wondering what's next. People are being sent home, and whether it, it, it's such a domino effect, it's fascinating. I mean, there were economies that were looking forward to basketball tournaments coming to their city because it would give the multi-million dollar boost. There were businesses that were started just because a basketball tournament was coming to their city. And they invested everything, sold their home, and it's all gone. It won't happen. They're looking for an answer. They put everything they had into this, and it's gone. The world is captivated, looking to their elected officials, only to be disappointed, to understand they too could not anticipate, could anticipate what was happening, nor could they react adequately. People are losing their confidence in the government. People are losing their confidence in their elected officials. They're looking for an answer. And God has got us positioned for such a time as this. How will you respond? God is provoking you. I'll tell you what I feel like. I told my wife, it is out of this. You know what scarcity does? It provides great clarity. It's amazing. I heard one pastor say it like this. Uh, he actually had indicated uh, that he had been exposed to somebody who indeed had the coronavirus. And he had to uh, self-isolate. Uh, he was coming from another country. He had to self-isolate. And uh, he took it upon himself. He did the responsible thing, communicated uh, to the officials that he had been exposed to somebody. Uh, he had learned that he had been exposed to somebody that had it. And he, he chose to self-isolate, uh, put himself in his home, you know, in this particular room and got everything that he needed. And uh, People were like, oh, wasn't that great? Didn't you enjoy, you know, being away from people for two weeks? He was like, didn't you enjoy the downtime? He has just all these interesting questions. And he said, it was fascinating. He said, the little things that I took for granted. He said, just being able to sleep next to my wife. Just being able to go outside and take in the sun. Just being able, if I wanted to, to go to Starbucks. He said, it's amazing what clarity you find when everything's taken away. Can I tell you, the world is coming to a moment of clarity. The world is coming to a moment of clarity. And I believe many of us here today are coming to a moment of clarity. We're realizing what is and isn't important. We realize the only thing that matters is a healthy, dynamic, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. The clarity is coming in such a way that many of us are like, hey, I don't know what's going on. I've heard Pastor Keel talk about receiving the Spirit of the Lord. Man, I've never been baptized. Experience, I want that today. Can I tell you, some of you all might be like, man, I've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sin, for the remission of my sins as Scripture has communicated. What doth hinder you? Don't be afraid. Today is your day. You might be wondering, well, is the water safe? Of course the water's safe. We got every chemical you can think. No, we don't. Not every chemical you could think of. The water has been equalized. We got bromine in there and all other kind of stuff. Bromine kills all those that nasty stuff. We don't do chlorine. Chlorine's so harsh for a tub that size. If it's a big pool, then it'd be different. You need to throw all the chlorine in there and everything. But God is calling you. Don't let fear prevent you from taking a step. 
You know what I believe? I believe there'll be ministries and ideas that'll be born in moments of scarcity to reach people, to share with them what God is doing. In moments like this, you know what? Now, if you've never had an opportunity or if you've never taken the opportunity to lead your family in devotion, now is the time to do it. Lead your family in devotion. I'd like us all to stand. Some people may be thinking, well, what if I what if I take a risk and take God at his word and I mess up? Can I just tell you, failure isn't final. Failure isn't final. It's a chance to grow. Failure is a chance to grow. What is fatal is never getting out of the boat to begin with. Was Peter a failure in this story? In some people's minds, he might have been. He managed only a few steps on the water before he got distracted and sank. But the bigger failures were the 11 sitting in the boat. Jesus didn't say, come, Simon Peter. He simply said, come. Anyone could have obeyed that command. Anyone could have stepped from the boat and walked on water. What would happen today if Extraordinary Church viewed this glorious opportunity God has given us to work through us and in us that we became a place that not just hugged the side of the boat but we decided to step out of the boat what testimonies will we experience what is God calling you to do is God calling you to serve in some way? Is God calling you to begin to write? Is God calling you to begin to launch a ministry? Is God calling? What is God calling you to do? Who wants to step out today? I have a simple thought. Do not be afraid. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.